0: Leash Monastic Trail Introduction Welcome to the Abarta Audio Guide to the Leash Monastic Trail. This audio guide was produced in conjunction with Leash County Council, Leash Partnership and Leash Tourism. The guide will lead you around the beautiful landscape of County Leash, to discover the remains of ancient churches and monasteries and to hear stories of saints and sinners at the dawn of Christianity in Ireland. Christianity came to the area now known as County Leash sometime in the 5th century. At that time, Leash was part of the Kingdom of Ossory an ancient Irish kingdom that existed until the Anglo-Norman invasions of the 12th century. Pioneering men like Canis, Feagh, Colman and Machua, who later became saints, founded establishments throughout County Leash that went on to become famed centres of worship and learning. These monasteries produced fantastic scholarly works like the Book of Leinster, which details genealogies of the ancient Irish tribes. It also recounts Ireland's most famous epic adventure, the Táin Bó Cúlíná, also known as the Cattle Raid of Cooley. The monasteries flourished throughout the centuries, though many suffered raids from warring Irish tribes, and later, a number were plundered by the Vikings, as they swept stealthily up the rivers Barrow and Nore in the 9th and 10th centuries. Another group of invaders, the Anglo-Normans, arrived in the late 12th century and they left a longer legacy on County Leash. Under their control, the changes in the early medieval Irish church were accelerated and the old Irish church began to move more in line with church practices in Europe. The monasticism, promoted by saints like Canis and Makua began to gradually fade out. Under the patronage of the powerful Norman lords, continental orders like the Augustinians spread quickly, establishing monastic houses across the country, changing the style of monasticism in Ireland forever. This guide serves as an introduction to the heritage, stories, folklore and history of many of those great early medieval monasteries. It begins with one of the most famous monastic sites in County Leash, Ahabo. Nestled in a low-lying area, and surrounded by fertile fields, you can discover the ruins of the monastic site of Ahabó. The name Ahabó means field of the ox, probably referring to the great pasture land surrounding the remains of the monastery. Nearly 1500 years ago, Saint Canis travelled to this spot and founded a monastery here in 560 AD. He positioned the monastery close to one of the great ancient highways of early medieval Ireland, the Slí Dále. This routeway connected many early medieval monasteries and led from Munster all the way up to the hill of Tara. By founding his monastery close to this routeway, Canis ensured easy access for pilgrims, and the monastery benefited from connections and trade links with other monasteries and settlements along the route. Canis is noted as being one of the Twelve Apostles of Ireland, the key figures of the early Irish church. He was a disciple of Saint Finian of Clonard, who was known as the tutor of the Saints of Ireland. Saint Canis is believed to have been born in Glengiven, County Derry, in around 516 A.D. and he died here, at Ahobo, at the age of around 85. However, his monastery continued to thrive after his death. Many stories and miracles are attributed to St Canis. One story, which was written many years after his death, concerns the famous St Colum Kill, also known as Columba, who established monasteries at Kells, Derry, Durrow and Iona on the western shores of Scotland. Colum Kill and his companions were sailing off the coast of Scotland when a storm suddenly rose up and threatened to capsize the boat. None of the monks could swim and, fearing for their lives, called to Columkill to save them. Columkill, powerless in the face of the great storm, called out his friend Canis's name, who was, at the time, sitting quietly in his monastery at Ahabo contemplating. Canis heard his name being called out and he began to pray and in doing so saved all who were aboard that boat including Colum Kill. Fergal also known as Vigilius, was another abbot of Ahabo, who rose to prominence in Ireland and Europe. He became abbot of Achebo in around 730 AD. He resigned this post in 739 AD and set off on the long pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He then travelled around Europe and befriended Pepin, who became known as Pepin the Short, a powerful Carolingian king and father of the famous Charlemagne. King Pepin helped to establish Fergal in Salzburg and he became abbot of the Benedictine Abbey of Saint Peter at Salzburg. He was later elected bishop of the city in the late 8th century. He was a noted intellectual and, unusually for the time, believed that the earth was a sphere. His beliefs and wide-ranging intellect made him the enemy of other bishops. And twice he was denounced by others in the Holy Roman See. He was exonerated both times. He died in Austria in around 784 AD. Fergal's links with Salzburg were celebrated during the recent conservation works at Achebeau. You can see a plaque that commemorates the visit of the Bishop of Salzburg in 1984, who officially launched the conservation works. And a second plaque commemorates the visit of the Austrian ambassador, who visited the site when the conservation was completed. As monastic establishments became increasingly wealthy in the 8th and 9th centuries, raids by warring Irish tribes became a part of life for the monks. However, with the arrival of men from the north, known as Vikings, these raids became increasingly ferocious. There are a number of historical references documenting the plunder of the abbey by the Vikings. One record from around 845 AD describes how the Vikings from Dublin raided Leinster, including Ahabó, and other monastic establishments in counties Kilkenny and Tipperary. Another record refers to Ahabó being plundered in 913 AD. In 1052, a new church was constructed on the site of the monastery. This church was built to hold the relics of St Canis, the founder of Ahobo. Unfortunately, this church has not survived, as fire swept through the site in 1116. A new programme of building works began in the late 12th century. During this time, Ahobo was the seat of the bishopric of Ossory, the old Irish kingdom, that covered parts of Leish and Kilkenny. Because Ahabo was considered to be the centre of this diocese, the cathedral church was located here. Great changes occurred in Ireland in the late 12th century. A group of mercenary knights, known as the Anglo-Normans, began to establish themselves in Ireland. They were led by Richard Fitzgilbert de Clare, also known as Strongbow. He was very ambitious and had allied himself with the King of Leinster, Dearmid Macmurrah. Dearmid had been having difficulties with other Irish kings who were encroaching on his territory. He wanted to rule unchallenged in Ireland and had to quash his rivals he sought, and was granted, permission from Henry II to use the experienced, well-trained, and well-equipped Norman knights to subdue his enemies. Diarmid promised Strongbow land, glory, and his daughter Aoife's hand in marriage. With the terms of their allegiance agreed, Strongbow sailed from Wales and landed on Irish shores in 1170. Thus began a military campaign that would secure overlordship of vast tracts of land throughout the country, as they quickly seized Waterford, Wexford and Dublin. King Dermot died in 1171, and Strongbow inherited the kingdom of Leinster. He carved up the kingdom and dispensed cantreds or baronies of land to his favoured knights. Strongbow granted a knight known as Adam de Hereford, the land around Ahebo. The steep sloped grassy mound covered in trees you can see in the field to the north is an echo of these Norman knights. This is all that remains of a motte and Bailey, an early Norman fortification. The motte was a man-made steep sloped earthen mound with a strong wooden tower constructed on top of it. It originally had a bailey positioned to one side of the motte. A bailey was a raised platform that was surrounded by a large fence to protect the livestock and stores. Mott and baileys were very effective defensive fortifications that were cheap and quick to construct, and offered excellent protection for the invading knights. The changes in land ownership in the 12th century signaled changes for the monastic foundation at Ahabo. Felix Odelani, the last bishop at Ahabo, was compelled by an order from King Henry II in 1190, to move the seat of his power, the bishopric, to Kilkenny, where the cathedral for the bishopric of Ossory still stands to this day. By 1234, continental monastic orders had established themselves on the island. At Ahabou, an Augustinian priory was established on the site of the early medieval monastery. This Augustinian Priory stood where the present Church of Ireland Church is located today. Little but the belfry remains of this Augustinian Priory because, in 1346, Dermot McGillipatrick, leader of the Gaelic-Irish tribes from the surrounding area, burned the Priory and adjacent town. It is not known how many were killed in this attack. Thirteen years later, the Magillapatricks came back and took the castle located near the site from the English settlers and claimed the land around Ahabo as their own. This was not the end for Ahabo. In 1382, the Lord of Ossory, Florence, also known as Fingen Magillapatrick, invited the Dominican order to establish a friary on the ruined site of the early medieval monastery, perhaps as an act of repentance for the desecration carried out by his kinsmen some 40 years before. The Dominican friary at Ahabo continued in use until the time of the Reformation. It was disestablished in 1540 and in 1586, A lease was issued to Daniel Kelly for the monastery at Ahabo and cottages associated with it. The remains of the Phelan, or Ophuelan chapel, are still standing, adjacent to the nave of the church. This chapel was probably added in the late 15th century. The Ophuelans were an important tribe in the region and the first two abbots of the Dominican friary at Ahobo were members of the Ofuelan family. As you enter the chapel, look out for the medieval sculpture of a stone face on the north wall, peering down on all who enter the chapel. As you move through the main body of the church, you can see a piscina to the right of the altar. A piscina was used during the Ritual of Mass for washing the hands of the priest. You can still see the carved stone basin, where the water drained away once it had been used. The altar is relatively modern. It was donated to the Abbey during the conservation works. When you are ready, make your way back outside the Abbey and take a moment to visit the 19th century Church of Ireland that was constructed on the site of the early medieval monastery and Augustinian priory in around 1818. The bell tower was originally part of the medieval church and you can still see some hints of the medieval church incorporated in the windows and doorway of the 19th century church including three medieval heads that peer down from above the door. Worship still takes place within this church, showing a remarkable continuity of Christian worship on this site, stretching back around 1500 years from the 6th century to the present day. When you are ready, Please make your way to the next stop on our tour. Kyle Klontfart Malua. Kyle, also known as Klontfart Malua, was once a very important monastery located on the slopes of the Schliev Bloom Mountains. Today, only fragments of this once great and illustrious monastery survive. The site was established by St Malua sometime in the 6th century and the monastery grew to be an important centre of learning and scholarship in the 7th and 8th centuries. St Malua is said to have turned down a very impressive site on the Rock of Dunhamace, located between Stradbally and Portlaoise, in favour of the site here at Kyle. St Malua was originally known as Lewid. He was born in County Limerick in 554 AD. St Malua studied under St Finian of Clonard and there he developed his love of scholarship, which he promoted at his own monastery here at Kyle. Indeed, the scriptorium. Or writing room at Kyle gained an illustrious reputation in the 7th century, with famous works emerging from the scriptorium, some of which survive to this day in libraries on the continent. Like Ahabo, the monastery at Kyle was also strategically placed on the ancient routeway known as the Sli Dala. However, Kyle's growing reputation often attracted dangerous attention, and the site was raided by Vikings, who are thought to have destroyed the monastery in the middle of the 10th century. The Vikings may have destroyed the monastery, but the site was still a venerated place, as it was the burial site of Saint Malua. His burial is still marked to this day with the large modern cross and stone curbing. The grave is close to the entrance of the graveyard. In the 12th century, a Romanesque style church was built on the site of the destroyed early medieval church. The Romanesque style of architecture spread into Ireland in the early 12th century and this style featured rounded arches and elaborate decoration. Unfortunately, very little remains of this church at Kyle. But in the graveyard, you can still see fragments of stones from the church featuring Romanesque carving. Traces of the early medieval monastic foundation can still be seen. Two cross slabs which would have marked the graves of monks in the 6th, 7th or 8th centuries, are in the graveyard. And a holy water font, known as St Malua's trough, has been relocated to the nearby Ballochmore church. A large Boulogne stone, known as St Malouis stone, is now located just inside the gate of the graveyard. It is, unfortunately, very overgrown. This stone has several depressions on its surface, and these are thought to represent the saint's knees, head, and elbows. The exact function of Boulogne stones is not known for certain, though they were probably used as baptismal fonts, or maybe even as mortar and pestles for grinding herbs, cereals, or even mineral ores and pigments. An earthen bank can also be seen encircling the graveyard. This enclosure is all that is visible today of the boundary that marked the sacred ground of the monastery. Some of the stones that make up the boundary wall have decoration on them and were probably taken from the church when it became a ruin. Within the eastern part of the graveyard, numerous small uninscribed headstones can be seen. This type of headstone was used for centuries, as families did not have the money to buy expensive inscribed stones. Inscribed headstones only became fashionable and affordable in the late 19th century. The most famous relic of all associated with St Malua, is now located in the British Museum in London. This is the Bell of St Malua. A local family, the Odegans, were caretakers of the bell for centuries, until their castle, lands and goods came into the possession of Thomas Cook. He is said to have sold the bell to the British Museum, in 1854, where it is still located to this day. When you are ready, please make your way to the next stop, Clonina. The name Clonina means the meadow of ivy, and there are two church sites on either side of the road that are well worth visiting. On the south side of the road, you can discover the remains of a nave and chancel church that was probably built in the 16th century. It is surrounded by a graveyard with a number of headstones, some of which are uninscribed and appear to have been reused architectural fragments that once belonged to the now ruined church. Once a church fell into ruin, It was common practice to reuse stones from the church as burial markers. The most unusual of these stones can be seen to the northwest side of the chancel. This stone has a face carved into it and would have formed part of the wall of the church. In the adjacent field to this church, you can see a very noticeable circular platform in the field. This is all that remains of a Norman motte, similar to the one we saw at Ahobo Abbey earlier in the tour. When you are ready, go back onto the road and drive east towards Leash. After a short distance, you will see the early medieval monastic site that was founded by St Fintan. St Fintan Mach Echtach was born in a nearby townland called Clonkeen. When he was baptised, water sprang up around the celebrant's feet, which prompted the prophecy that St Fintan was going to grow up and become a great spiritual leader in the area. Saint Fintan went on to found the monastery here at Clannina in around 548 AD. Saint Fintan led a very strict and austere life, allowing himself only one very plain meal a day. He also believed in isolating himself, to get closer to God and on one occasion he travelled to the Shliev Blue Mountains, to a remote spot, to escape the hustle and bustle of the monastery, so he could commune with God, without any distractions. Legend has it that when Saint Fintan looked back at Clonina, he saw a vision of angels calling him back. He returned then, and settled at Clonina, until his death. In around 603 AD, the monastery that he founded on this site flourished. It was located in an ideal position, on the edge of high ground close to the ancient routeway of the Sli Dola. Clonina went on to become a royal monastery, associated with powerful Irish tribes in leash and became a famed centre of learning and scholarship that continued in use up to the time of the reformation in the 16th century. The Christianity that was practised in early medieval Ireland recognised and incorporated many traditions and beliefs of the old pagan religion water continued to be worshipped and natural springs or wells, which would have been sacred places for pagans, became associated with Christian saints. Trees, in particular oak trees, also continued to be worshipped by the new religion and the early churches built by these pioneering saints were always, where possible, built out of oak. This gave the name, Darchach, to these early Irish churches, which translates to oak house. Today, we have thousands of holy wells and holy trees close to early medieval monastic sites, reminding us that these early medieval Christians incorporated many of the old traditions into their new religion. The holy well at Clanina has now long since dried up. Legend has it that long ago, a landowner became so angered with all the pilgrims traveling to his well that he covered it over. However, the water did not stop flowing It merely changed course and flowed underneath the road and sprang up through the trunk of the sycamore tree that is located just outside the graveyard. The water collected in the trunk and the crown of this holy tree became sacred and was used to cure sickness. People came to the holy tree and hammered coins into its bark as offerings. However, the holy tree fell in the 1990s due to copper poisoning from the coins. Recently, new shoots have begun to sprout from the roots of this ancient tree, showing that there is hope for its survival. The tree can be seen on the side of the road, outside the early medieval church and graveyard. There is a small information panel beside it. Although there are no buildings left from the time of St Fintan, there are still many notable features that date to the time of the monastery. Around 14 cross slabs have been recorded on the site. Cross slabs are early medieval rectangular slabs of stone with a cross carved onto them. They were used as grave markers. The cross slabs at Clonina have been moved from their original positions and are located just inside the gateway of the graveyard. A beautiful carved stone with Romanesque decoration, probably a piece of masonry from the church, can also be seen against the wall. The monastic site at Clanina was also associated with the Kaldi or Kaeli Dei movement. Kaeli Dei means servant of God. This was a reform movement That was concerned about the influence of power, wealth and politics on the established monasteries around the country. The Cayley day preached a stricter form of monasticism that was more focused on spirituality and renouncing material wealth. Many adherents to this movement left monasteries and became hermits in isolated and lonely places, so they could truly focus on a life of prayer and meditation. The movement began in around the 6th century and spread to large monastic centres like Tala and Finglas, and was adopted here at Clanina and other monasteries located close by like Castle Dermot in County Kildare and Terry Glass and Mona Incha in County Tipperary. A monk from Clonina became a leader of the movement. He was known as Angus the Culdee, and was famed across the country as a scholar. He set up a number of hermitages around County Leish which became known as Dysarts or Deserts places out in the wilderness away from temptation. Another famous saint associated with Clanina was St. Cogal. He was noted for establishing the famous monastery at Bangor in County Down. While St. Cogal was staying at Clanina, he is said to have restored sight to a blind man by rubbing his saliva into his eyes. Today, there are merely echoes of this once thriving place of monastic learning. We see glimpses of its famed past in the beautiful carvings on the cross slabs and traces of the beliefs in its cures can still be seen in the old holy tree. To continue the story of monastic leash, please make your way to the next stop. Cool Bannaher. A monastery was established at Coolbanagher in the early medieval period, but little trace of that site survives to this day. In the 1990s, archaeological excavations were carried out here as the local community worked hard to extensively conserve the graveyard. During the course of the archeological excavations, the foundations for a simple early medieval church and an early medieval cross slab were recovered. The cross slab, which has a Greek cross carved onto its face, can now be seen on display on the inner wall of the church. This early medieval monastic site was founded by St Lugach, who also founded Ratú in County Kerry and a number of other establishments around the country. Kool Church was also associated with Angus the Culldí, whom we heard about at our last stop at Clannina. Angus is reputed to have travelled to Coolbanagher on his way to Tala. When he was at Coulbanagher, he saw a vision of angels hovering over the freshly dug grave of a man that venerated the saints. Upon seeing this vision, Angus was compelled to write the Phaelera, or Calendar of Saints, which he completed in the monastery at Tala. This calendar still survives as an important source for medieval Irish ecclesiastical history. The church that can be seen on the site today was constructed in the 12th century. It features interesting Romanesque style architecture like rounded arches, which can be seen at the doorway to the church in the Western Gable. The church and graveyard at Coolbanagher continued in use throughout the centuries. However, it eventually fell into disrepair, and in 1903, the ancient burial ground of Coolbanagher was described as being in a disgraceful state of neglect. Major conservation and restoration works were undertaken by the local community in recent times to conserve the church and ensure its survival for many more generations. Kulbanagir Castle once stood less than 100 metres to the north of the church. Construction probably began on the castle in the 13th century. It was modified and changed over the centuries. It was recorded as being in decay in 1551, but became the residence of Sir William Hartpole, who was Constable of Carlow Castle. He modified and changed Coolbanaher Castle extensively. The castle was standing four stories tall until Storm Darwin hit Ireland on the 12th of February 2014, A large section of the external wall of the castle was blown down by the force of the winds. Unfortunately, the remaining walls of the castle were deemed unsafe and the entire structure was demolished. After the medieval church at Coolbanagher fell into disuse, a new church was required for the congregation. This church was built a couple of miles away from the medieval ruins. Records suggest that a fire burned and destroyed this church in 1779, and a new church was then constructed on that site. This new church was completed in 1786. It is located on the R419 and is well worth a visit. This church was dedicated to St. John the Evangelist and is utterly unique as it was the only church designed by the famous architect James Gandon. Gandon is recognised as one of the leading architects to have worked in Ireland in the 18th century. A medieval font, possibly from the ruined Coulbanagher church, was placed here in 1935. This font is elaborately decorated. This church was redesigned and renovated in around 1870. Other famous buildings designed by Gandon include The Four Courts and Custom House in Dublin and Emo Court in Leash, which is located close to Coolbanagher and is also well worth a visit. When you are ready, please make your way to the next stop, O'Haval. O'Haval, also known as Oakvale, is Gaelic for new foundation. This name was given to the early medieval monastery that was founded here by St. Colman in the townland of Carrick When St. Colman was young, he traveled to the island of Iona, off the coast of Scotland, to the great monastery founded by St. Colum Kill. Colman became a student of Colm Kill and studied at Iona for many years. However, he eventually felt a great longing to travel back to Ireland. Colum Kill advised him to seek out St. Fintan of Clonina and make him his Anamchara, or spiritual advisor. Coleman followed Colum Kill’s advice and spent time learning from St. Fintan at Clonina. He traveled through Leish and eventually, went on to set up his own establishment here at Carriksala, and he called it Ochaval. When Coleman died, Colum Kill is said to have seen a vision of Coleman's soul entering heaven with a choir of angels. The next day, he told the monks at Iona to keep that day sacred in memory of his student and friend, Coleman and to dedicate mass to his memory. That day was the 15th of May, which is still known as St. Colman's Feast Day. St. Colman's monastery continued in use, even surviving Viking raids in the 9th and 10th centuries. It was a very important place of learning in the region and Ahaval was recorded as being one of the first homes for the famous Book of Leinster. The Book of Leinster is the earliest manuscript still in existence to have been written entirely in Irish. It is believed that an abbot named A began writing the manuscript at Terry Glass Monastery in County Tipperary in around 1160. The manuscript was originally named Lauer Nanua Chonvala, which translates to the Book of the New Foundation, which is what Oaval means. This suggests that the manuscript may have been completed at Ojaval and held here for many years. The manuscript's name was changed to the Book of Leinster in the 19th century. It is one of the most important sources for medieval Irish literature. It contains the earliest complete version of the Cattle Raid of Cooley, Ireland's oldest epic story. It also contains a version of the Gabala or Book of Invasions, which is an account of the different invasions of Ireland according to the early medieval monks. This important text is now housed in Trinity College Dublin. There are no buildings left on the site that date to the time of the early medieval monastery. The church that stands on the site today was probably constructed sometime in the 13th century. It has been linked to one of the great Irish clans of this region, the O'Moors. The O'Moors held the land around Stradbally until 1563. It then came into the ownership of the Cosby family, who still own large tracts of land around Stradbally to this very day. The Cosbys carried out a major program of works on the church at Ohoval in the 19th century. They decided to use the chancel as a burial vault and built their family vault underneath. A 19th century door leads into this vault and can be seen on the outside of the church on the east wall. The ground level of the chancel which is where the altar would have been located, is now much higher than that of the nave, which is where the congregation would have gathered. The barrel vaulted roof can still be seen covering the chancel. A large window with later 19th century insertions can be seen on the east wall of the church. And a two-storey tower Juts out from the northwest side of the nave. Stradbally, located close to Ochval, was home to many skilled stonemasons and stone cutters in the 19th century, and their skill and craftsmanship can be seen displayed on the many finely carved headstones here in the graveyard. There is a very interesting plaque on the south side of the ruins of the church. It commemorates Thomas Douglas, who worked as a preceptor or teacher for the Cosby family and lived at Stradbally Hall with the family for 52 years. He died at the age of 104 in 1734. The inscription at the bottom of the plaque pronounces words of warning to all grave robbers. Blessed be men who spare his bones and cursed be they who move these stones. When you are ready, please make your way to the next site. Slaty. Slaty was a monastic foundation that was established by St Fíoc, who was known as one of the first bishops of Leinster. According to legend, St Fíoc was nominated by St Patrick as his successor in Leinster, and St Patrick urged St Fíoc to carry on his Christian mission. St Fíoc is thought to have chosen this site here at Sleithy, due to its proximity to the Barrow River, which was a major routeway in early medieval Ireland. Legend has it that Fierch had originally established a monastery on the other side of the river. However, in a short space of time, over 60 monks died at that site. So the monastery was moved to this side of the river to escape whatever pestilence had afflicted the monks. Over time, Slaty became the first Episcopal seat in Leinster, making it one of the most important Christian centers in the province during the 6th and 7th centuries. One of the most famous abbots associated with this site was A who was one of the first biographers of St. Patrick in the 7th century. Some traces of the early medieval monastery that once stood here still survive today. Two granite high crosses can be found within the graveyard. One cross stands directly in front of the church as you enter the small graveyard. This is the tallest of the two crosses. The other cross is a little bit harder to find. It is located to the south of the church, in the graveyard, and is about half the size of the first cross. There is no discernible decoration on the crosses, so the exact date of these crosses is not known, but they are likely to date to the earlier part of the medieval period. As you make your way into the church, you will see a medieval font. This was used to hold holy water and was probably used during baptisms. A holy well is also recorded close to Slaty church. This is known as Tupper Fíg, the well of Fíg. However, this well is no longer visible today. The early medieval monastery at Slaty declined in prominence in around the 8th century as it was overshadowed by the monastery at Kildare, which was founded by Saint Bridget, and the monastery of Glendalough, which was founded by Saint Kevin. The last historical reference to the monastery was made in 1055. The parish church, which now occupies the site, was probably built in the 13th century, though it has been changed and renovated over the years. After the Reformation in 1540, the parish church was used by the Church of Ireland, which had become the established church in the country. It was in use until around 1657, when it was recorded that the parish had no minister. It fell into disuse shortly after this and became a ruin. When you are ready, please make your way to the next site on the tour, Kelesian. The monastic site at Kelesian was founded in the 6th century by St. Dermot, but it was St. Colgan who became the main patron of the site. His feast day is commemorated on the 27th of February. Keleshin had a turbulent history, with many accounts of raids and attacks, particularly in the 11th century. It was plundered and demolished in 1041, and it was recorded that Dermid, son of Maelnamo, namo was responsible. He was lord of the tribe known as the i who were mortal enemies of the Ibarraha tribe that held the lands around Keleshin. It is reputed that Dermot tore down the artery of the site, killed over 100 people, and seized hundreds more as slaves. Another raid was recorded in 1077, when the monastery was raided again and several yew trees were burned. This was a clear act of desecration, as yew trees were often planted by monks to mark the sacred boundaries of monasteries. The church that can be seen on the site today was built on the site of the Broken Oratory in the 12th century. It was built in the new Romanesque architectural style which had come to Ireland in the early part of the 12th century. is one of Ireland's finest examples of this style of architecture, which features rounded arches and highly decorated doorways. At Cellesian, the doorway is probably the most striking feature of the building. There are four orders of arches around the doorway, featuring carvings with chevrons, zigzags, animal and foliage design. The capitals of the arches have human faces carved on them with different expressions and some even have beards. Some suggest that the use of shallow carvings and different colour stone indicates that this doorway was probably painted. There are also two inscriptions carved into the doorway. One inscription is for Kalachon who may have been the master stonemason or artist on the site. The other inscription refers to Diarmid, King of Leinster, and is a prayer. This refers to Diarmid MacMurrah, the King of Leinster, from around 1126 to 1171. He is the man that is credited with inviting the Normans into Ireland. Academics have suggested that the boundary between the two warring tribes, the Ibarraha and the Icanslig, was incorporated into a new diocese in 1152. And this may have prompted Diarmid, as the king over the entire province, to commission this masterpiece of Irish craftsmanship and continental design. The chancel of the church, where the altar would have stood, was probably built years after the nave and the doorway. The windows that can be seen in the wall of the chancel are ogee headed and this style was used in around the 15th and 16th centuries. A round tower once stood to the northwest of the church. This round tower was probably constructed in the 10th or 11th century. Round towers were important status symbols for monasteries and would have been used as bell towers and lookouts. The round tower at Kaleshin was unfortunately pulled down in 1703 by Captain Wolseley. It was said that a local farmer was afraid that masonry from the tower might fall on his cows. The stone from the round tower was used to build houses in the locality. A medieval baptismal font can still be seen outside the wonderful doorway of the church. When the Norman mercenaries came to Ireland to help Diarmid MacMurrough defeat his enemies, tracts of land throughout Leinster came into Norman ownership. When Diarmid died, Two years after the initial wave of Anglo-Normans landed, Strongbow became the Lord of Leinster and he granted the lands around Celeshen to a loyal knight named de Clául. He constructed a mot in Bailey and later a castle in a field across the road from the monastery at Celeshen. Today, there are no obvious visible traces of that castle, but a flat mound can still be seen in the field where the castle once stood. The monastery at Colesian became a parish church after the Norman Conquest and continued in use after the Reformation. It was renovated throughout the centuries and was in use up to the 19th century. When you are ready, please make your way to the next site, Timahoe. A church was founded on this site by Saint Machua in the 7th century. The place name, Timaho means Church of Machua. He was a 7th century warrior who converted to Christianity and became a hermit. He had no worldly possessions at all apart from his Psalter, a book of Psalms, a rooster, a mouse and a fly. The rooster kept the hour of matins for him, so he never missed prayers. The mouse made sure he never slept more than five hours a night by licking his ears if he fell asleep while praying, and the fly would mark his position in the Psalter, walking across the lines on the page, so he never lost his place. Eventually all three pets died, and Saint Makua was very lonely. He wrote to St. Colm Kill in the hope of receiving words of comfort. St. Colm Kill replied, My brother, marvel not that thy flock should have died for misfortune ever waits upon wealth. Makua himself died in around 657 AD and his feast day is recorded as falling on the 24th of December. Saint Machua was not the first to use this site as a sacred place. In the 19th century, 4,000-year-old Bronze Age burials were discovered here at Timahoe. When Saint Mohua established his monastic site here, the buildings he constructed were made of wood. Even the church was probably built using oak as that was considered to be a sacred timber. In the eighth and 9th centuries these wooden structures were gradually replaced with stone buildings. No trace of the early medieval stone buildings apart from the magnificent round tower survive to this day. The site is most famous for the wonderful round tower that is thought to date from the early part of the 12th century. It has the most ornate Romanesque style doorway of any round tower in Ireland. And in the right light conditions, you can make out wonderfully intricate carvings of interlacing chevrons And representations of human heads. This doorway is positioned approximately five metres up from the ground level, with the tower itself standing almost 30 metres or 98 feet tall. There are six sets of corbels inside the round tower, which indicates there were six floors. On the top floor, there are four tall windows. For centuries, scholars debated about what exactly these iconic Irish round towers were actually used for. Many thought they served as lookout points or refuges in case of Viking raids. However, it is likely that round towers were primarily bell towers. Even their name in Irish, cligchock, translates to bell house. The towers would have also been highly visible markers in the landscape, serving almost as a lighthouse to weary pilgrims who knew that a round tower meant a monastery where they could find sanctuary, accommodation, and warm food for the night. The Romanesque style of architecture was not just used on the doorway to the round tower at Timahoe. A church featuring Romanesque style was built on the site in the 12th century. However, no trace of that Romanesque church survives today. Timahoe came under the control of the Anglo-Normans in the late 12th century and a manor was set up here in around 1302. The Romanesque church was used as a parish church. However, it was later replaced by a larger church in the 15th century. In the 16th century, the parish church and adjacent lands came into the possession of Richard Cosby. He converted the parish church into a tower house and in doing so, completely dismantled the church in the process. The only feature of the church, which can still be seen today, is a large arch in the east wall of the tower house. A Nagig Na once adorned the north wall of the tower house. A Nagig Na is a stone carving of a female exhibitionist figure. This female carving is always naked and has the face of a hag. The carvings are thought to date from the 12th to the 17th centuries. The purpose of these carvings is not clear. They are usually found on the walls of churches and may have been carved to ward off evil or may have been fertility symbols. The shile gig that was once on the north wall of the tower house is no longer visible. It is thought that it collapsed and is now buried under rubble and debris close to the tower house. A Church of Ireland parish church was constructed on the site in the 18th century and another church was rebuilt on that site in the 19th century. This building was converted into a library in more recent times. When you are ready, please turn to the next track. Conclusion In the 1500s, Henry VIII, King of England and Ireland, broke with Rome and the Catholic Church. A decree was issued that renounced the authority of the Pope and established Henry as the head of the new Church of England. He began the dissolution of the monasteries, transferring all the vast lands and wealth accumulated by the monastic orders across England and Ireland into state control. Henry and his advisers granted much of these lands to loyal families and this religious upheaval signalled a death blow for many monasteries throughout County Leash. Though they were no longer monasteries, many of these sites continued for centuries as places of Christian worship and many of the sites have been lovingly restored by the hard work of local communities who recognise the importance of preserving these ancient sites. We hope you've enjoyed your tour through the ancient monasteries of County Leash. This guide was produced in conjunction with Leash County Council, Leash Tourism and Leash Partnership. If you wish to explore more sites around the county, try our guide to the Rock of Dunhamace, an Anglo Norman fortress just outside Port Leash. Gunairi on Boherlat. May the road rise to meet you.